Hey, what's up, everybody? Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helley is presented by Domino's Hawaii, now promising contactless delivery to assure that your pizza is delivered safely to your door. Domino's Hawaii wants to thank its entire team for their efforts in staying safe, keeping sanitized, and working hard to serve our neighbors during these trying times. And a special thanks to you, the customers, for your continued trust. As a locally owned company, Domino's Hawaii knows there are people seeking work, and it is hiring as many in our community as possible right now. We're all in this together, so take care out there, and let's look forward to the next big sporting event where we can all gather and celebrate as one. All right, let's talk sports. Hey, what's up, Jordan? Let's warm things up right off the bat because we're starting to see the reopening of businesses here around the country and here locally. So the question to start things off here in our pregame portion, what's the business or establishment you're most looking forward to seeing reopen? Yeah, I can't wait. Uh, you know, here in Maui County, we, we've been kind of fortunate. Uh, some of the soft reopenings, if you will. My barber, for sure. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting a haircut. Uh, that that hasn't been provided by my girlfriend. She's done an admirable job. Don't get me wrong, uh, but I'm I'm looking forward to a professional uh, to get that job done. We, we've had golf courses open for a while. I've been taking advantage of that, but without a doubt, uh, it is grooming uh, because you know it's it's getting a little rough. The haircuts getting a little a little rough out there. Uh, so that's that's number one for me. Uh, and, and we'll kind of ease into, I think, some of the more dining out and, and maybe some of the watering hole establishments. It'd be nice. I know there's a, there, we're starting to get there. Uh, I look forward to that, but I think that's a, a little more down the road. Yeah, I don't feel like you should get first priority when the barbershops open because your hair looks great. You said your girlfriend has been cutting it, and I got to be honest here, just looking you over the Zoom meeting here right now, the hair looks fine. Whereas I, my friend, things are just out of control. Like, it is just an absolute mess, uh, and I need to get into the barber's chair, and I don't even know how this is going to work. Like, can we take off the mask so they can trim the beard? Is the beard off limits? I don't even know what's going to happen, but oh my gosh, I am in need of some kind of grooming, that's for sure. So barbershops, yes. Uh, and I wouldn't mind seeing the gym, like 24-Hour Fitness or some of those clubs. I wouldn't mind seeing them open up in some form or fashion because my COVID-15, right, referring to the weight gained during the quarantine, <laughs> it's starting to creep up into a COVID-20. So I need to do something. And I'm playing a little golf too. I'm attempting to go jogging and those kinds of things, but I just can't really get into it. I kind of need the gym setting. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm desperate right now, man. I'm desperate for some grooming and, and some pretending to work out. That's good. It's a lot of these, I think, for you, I, and a lot of people out there, it really centers around, like, self-care, right? It's <laughs> like taking care of your body, taking care of some of your grooming. Like, you know, it's like you can get some retail in. You can maybe, hey, you go sit down at a restaurant or something like that. But it's, it's about getting our lives back together just from, from a presentation standpoint, like we need to be more presentable. I can only do the Zoom thing and hide, you know, the rest of the body for so long. It's like, man, you know, I'm gonna have to start seeing people soon. I can't go to a restaurant, certainly not a, an upscale or nicer restaurant looking like this. So I need to do the self-care thing before I can even think about taking this mess of a human image uh, out in public in some kind of restaurant setting. Uh, all right, let's uh, get into our game time because I'm very excited 
uh, about the interview that we have here for this episode of the podcast. We've got an interview with Cole Kaler. He is a shortstop for the University of Hawaii baseball program uh, this week, becoming the 17th UH player to be named an All-American. He received third-team honors from collegiate baseball. He's the first Rainbow since 2011. Uh, that was Colton Wong and Lenny Linsky, by the way, uh, to be named an All-American. That wasn't a freshman All-American selection. Uh, this dude lit it up, man. Spent two years in junior college at South Mountain Community College in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, he made the transition to Division I seamlessly. He ranked sixth in the NCAA in doubles, 10th in triples, was top 100 statistically in batting average, runs batted in, slugging percentage, total bases, you name it. The guy hit 407, 667 slugging, uh, was leading Big West Conference hitters with 17 runs batted in when the season got cut short. He was just off the charts and, yeah, pretty good in the field as well. So uh, despite this coming in an abbreviated season, Jordan, I ask you, how impressive is Cole Kaler's All-American selection? Yeah, I think you you can quantify with some of the numbers, right? And obviously the recognition off the field of the All-American status um, and, and then you can look at some of the numbers, right? The, the extra base hits, the totals where he ranked collegiately. Uh, but I think from a fan perspective and what jumped out at you, uh, he was as exciting a rainbow baseball player as we've seen in, in a little bit of time, I think. And, and some could argue, I think, maybe since Colton, right? When you think of Colton, he was the guy who made all the plays in the field. But then at the plate, you almost expected him to get a hit every time he got up. But not just a hit a timely hit or an extra base hit. You'd love seeing him run the bases. It, and that's who Cole Kaler kind of reminded me of because of because of all the extra base hits. Top 10 in the country and doubles and triples. And and yeah, he maybe the pop's going to come, right? And, and some of the power's going to come, kind of like Colton's did, not that he didn't have it during his time in Manoa. We've seen it in the majors. But, but Cole's one of those guys. He's one of those guys you expect to get up. You expect to get a hit every time. But you also expect him to come home every time because he's going to hit an extra base hit. He's going to hit a gapper. He's going to hit a two bagger. He's going to find his way to stretch things into a triple. And all of a sudden he's in scoring position. Anytime somebody's up, it seemed like he came up with the timely knock to drive in runs. And so some of the numbers I think reflect what you saw on the field, uh, just observing him. And that's what I enjoyed. Cole was, was as bright as stars they had going early on in some of those big non-conference wins. Yeah, it was a little unexpected, right? He was replacing Maki Yamazaki in that shortstop position in the field, and Maki had put up tremendous numbers and, and was really a standout uh, and an all-conference selection. Uh, and so it wasn't necessarily expected that this guy would transfer in and, and all of a sudden kind of take over that role uh, and do so so impressively. And you're right. I think the team as a whole was trending upward. Uh, and so it really introduced some possibilities this year. I think he's one of those guys, right? We talked on the last episode about the impact of the abridged Major League Baseball draft and the signing bonus cap. Uh, you start to wonder, is he a guy that is impacted by that? Because even if it, you're talking about a small sample size as far as the abbreviated season, would Cole Kaler have been a guy that would have been looked upon as a draft prospect uh, somewhere beyond the fifth round for a fat signing bonus? Um, and does that mean that he is more inclined to come back next season? He's talking in our interview, as you'll hear, he's talking about next season, his senior campaign. Uh, but I wonder, I wonder if there's any possibilities on that horizon. Well, we move on to another University of Hawaii athlete. In fact, a pair of them, uh, because the Jack Bonham Award winners were announced. 
and Maui's Colton Cowell of the Rainbow Warrior Volleyball Program was the winner on the male side, whereas Petra Melanova of the UH Tennis Program was named the female winner. Now, Colton Cowell obviously has a special place in our hearts. Uh, we live on the island of Maui. He's a King Kekaulike graduate, uh, and he is the ultimate story, right? As far as a student athlete who walked onto the program, uh, had inauspicious aspirations at first, and then all of a sudden developed into one of the premier outside hitters in the country. Very excited because the NCAA granting relief to seniors here because of the pandemic. And so Colton's set to be back next season. Uh, but the Jack Bonham Award, the most prestigious award that can be presented to a UH student athlete, given to the student athlete that best exemplifies the ideals of the late assistant athletics director and what he stood for in areas of athletic excellence, academic achievement, public service, leadership, and character. Now, Colton has coached club volleyball, serves as a mentor to youth, uh, while also performing as UH's top scholar athlete. How impressive is this accomplishment for Colton College, Jordan? I think it really means a lot. I think it means a lot to him. Uh, I think it means a lot to that men's volleyball program. Uh, it means a lot to, to everybody that's kind of been a part of his story along the way because it really does, uh, I think, exemplify all that he has put in to get to where he's at. As you mentioned, an All-American outside hitter at six foot one in, in NCAA Division One collegiate volleyball. I mean, that's a, unheard of. It's absurd. Uh, the guy absolutely self-made built his way, body, built his body, built his skill set, everything that it took to get to that point, not just contributing for that team, but being one of their go-to guys and at times uh, maybe their most reliable guy uh, throughout the last couple of seasons. And then you pair that with everything else, right? You pair that with the character. You pair that with the community service. You pair that with everything that this award stands for, right? And, and, and maybe those outside of the University of Hawaii Circle – um, aren't quite as in tune to what this award means and, and just how much it, I think, is a treasured recognition for anybody that comes through that program. And again, it's not just the volleyball program, but that entire athletic department. Uh, and for him to be recognized along with Petra, um, I think two outstanding, outstanding choices. Uh, and for Colton, everything that he has gotten has been because he worked his tail off to get there. I mean, as you pointed out, everything was stacked against him. Just height, where he came from, uh, pedigree, everything. The guy is unbelievable in his story uh, and one of the more uh, unlikely Division I standouts uh, in any sport and any program, I think, really around the country uh, and the University of Hawaii. Lucky to have him. Now, because he was named the Bonham Award winner, that now makes four of the last male winners of that prestigious honor uh, men's volleyball players. What does that say, you think, about that program and why they seem to fit into the description of the Jack Bonham Award uh, so perfectly? Yeah, I think it speaks to the program, right, obviously, and what Charlie Wade and his staff have done. And I'm sure you get a, a bit of a wry smile from Charlie uh, when you talk about, hey, look, it's high character guys, right? And I think the other thing about that program, and you can say it really about a lot of the programs at the University of Hawaii because of our geographic location and just culturally what goes into it, it's as diverse as any program you'll find, right, in terms of background, uh, in terms of nationality. I mean, it's an international all-star team in a lot of ways and so they, they bring in a lot of individuals from very different backgrounds, but they all seem to have 
the unifying character that goes into it, the unifying selflessness uh, that goes into what that program has built up. And, and quite honestly, I mean, when you're looking at it on the men's side uh, over the last six years where four of them have been selected, uh, they've been the most successful on the court of any male program uh, you know, at that institution, right? I mean, we're talking about multiple NCAA Final Fours, NCAA National Championship game last year. So, I mean, they've they've been more successful. Uh, and we've had some some really solid seasons from different programs across the department, for sure, football, basketball, and whatnot. But uh, men's volleyball has been the most successful on the court. And I think, you know, that's that's reflected a little bit here as well. But it's it's a feather in the cap, I think, for that program to have four of the last six and and all that goes into that from a, from a character standpoint. Yeah, I think part of it is the four and a half scholarships that are made available on the UH or the men's volleyball front. In many cases, they're paying at least partially for that experience. And so I think there's a, there's a different connection to the overall student-athlete definition for the volleyball players. I, I just think they, they enter into this space from a different perspective. And like you said, a lot of them come from different areas of the globe. And so even just culturally, uh, I just think that they have kind of a different take on the whole student athlete thing. And, and maybe that is what translates so well when it comes to the combination of you know excellence on the court as well as excellence in the classroom uh, and the ability to uh, maintain some perspective as far as community service uh, and those kinds of considerations. So congratulations certainly to those two winners. Uh, we wish them the best moving forward and looking forward to seeing the Maui boy, the Haleakala Hammer, back out there on the Terraflex next season for UH Colton Cowell. All right, transitioning to the gridiron. Um, we didn't really talk about this too in-depthly, but a couple of weeks back, the Pac-12 was rumored to be considering a conference-only schedule as it pertains to the football season. Uh, now, we talked with, I talked with, UH head coach Todd Graham about that subject, part of a stream team episode, and this is what he had to say about those rumors. You know, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm one of those, I'm an optimist. Uh, you know, I, uh, there's a lot, you know, I, these situations, I, I don't like rumors and things like that. I think most of that's rumor, if you want to know my opinion. Uh, I do think that uh, college football is working collaboratively. I know we're working collaboratively with the Pac-12 as a conference. Uh, and I'm very, I'm very hopeful uh, that we'll, we'll kick off, you know, at Arizona week one. That, that's what I'm, that's what I'm, I can only bank on that because, uh, you, you know, you know, I, I've not been told anything differently, uh, but uh, you know, I I think that it's important to play a full schedule uh, and to be able to do that as long as we can do it safely. And uh, there's can there can always be changes and things change between now and then. But uh, you know, I'm I know that we're planning on that game. We're planning on on playing a full schedule, and uh, and that kicks off with with Arizona, then UCLA, then Fordham, and then then Oregon. That's what we, that's what we plan on, and. Uh, uh, I hope for our fans and for our players that, that, that we're able to do that. You know, that's the great philosophy, right? There's no reason to be concerned about something until there's a reason to be concerned about something. And right now he's saying he doesn't buy into all the rumor stuff just yet. But realistically speaking, this could be pretty rough on UH if it were to happen. And I think there's still a percentage possibility that it does occur uh, because you're talking about UH having three of their first four games against Pac-12 teams. Two of those are going to be on the road in Arizona and Oregon. So those are pay games, right? Money games for the Rainbow Warriors. This maybe is more of a reason to be concerned, even though Todd Graham right now is saying that he's not putting too much emphasis on it. 
Uh, I 100% understand where, where Coach Graham is coming from, sure, right? I mean, you can't operate under pretense, right? I mean, you've got to operate under the assumption that you're going to play all the games that are on the schedule, and you have to prepare for it as such. Now, if for whatever reason those games get wiped off the board, then, hey, you know, it is what it is, but you can't assume. And so I get that. I get that from a coach-speak standpoint, right? I, I understand that, but I'm sure in the back of his mind, in the back of the mind of David Matlin, the athletic director, and and the administration there at the University of Hawaii, that, that's a very real thing. I mean, you're looking at, you know, the possibility of holding games at Aloha Stadium with no fans or, or limited fans uh, so that you're looking at revenue reduction there, right? And, and the possibility of not being able to, to travel, right? I mean, for the University of Hawaii, every single opponent they play either has to get on a plane to come here or they've got to get on a plane to go someplace else, right? And, and as we talk right now at the end of May, those travel restrictions – coming into the state aren't lifted just yet. And we're talking about, you know, multiple different states, whether it's Arizona, whether it's Oregon, California schools coming down here, including a Pac-12 school coming down here. Who knows what that cross, you know, interstate exchange is going to look like. So, yeah, I mean, that's got to be a huge concern, right? Because if some of these conferences decide to insulate and minimize their footprint and keep things as controlled as possible. And I could see that. I could see that with a lot of the Power Five conferences, right? And there, there's been a lot of rumbling that this could very well be a big driving force between a much more official separation between the Power Five and the Group of Five. Uh, and if the Power Five starts canceling those non-conference games, because, yeah, as you pointed out, are they, are they going to have the five to seven hundred thousand dollars to just pay the University of Hawaii to show up for a football game in an empty stadium I mean who knows right it's a, that's a it's a big concern I, I really do think it is and of course if you're going to cut games out it's going to be the non-conference games it's going to be the games that cost you the most money uh, and that would be for Pac-12 schools the games against the non-Pac-12 schools and especially against a group of five schools and so the Hawaii fits right in that bold. Yeah, I think Todd Graham is taking the right perspective. He's got enough to worry about, right, as a first-year coach, taking over a new program, trying to get acclimated while not being able to work, right, hands-on with players out on the field at the moment. Uh, and so let's, let's let the administration worry about some of these potential scenarios. But certainly it is a concern because you're talking about legitimate revenue for this program, which feeds into so many other programs within this athletic department. But we just don't know yet. Everything is still so much up in the air, but it should be emphasized. No games have yet officially been canceled or even postponed at this stage. So we'll hold out hope. Uh, and certainly uh, for the University of Hawaii, they are keeping their fingers crossed that those games are played in some form or fashion. You mentioned empty stadiums, though. Will there be any consideration by sports leagues here on American soil to perhaps employ some of the plans that have been implemented in other nations for an artificial fan presence in stadiums and venues? Yes, sports leagues around the globe uh, have been utilizing varying methods of creating that fan presence. You have in Germany for soccer matches, you have some clubs piping in crowd noise. Uh, some are going with life-size cutouts of season ticket holders. Uh, in Denmark, you can pay to zoom into the soccer games on big screens around the stadium. Of course, we've been watching Korean baseball. They've got everything from big head cutouts to stuffed animals in the stands. Are you in favor of these kinds of tactics being taken in lieu of real-life fans in the seats for American professional and or college sports? 
Yeah, I, I like the creativity for sure, especially when, you know, the, uh, one of the German soccer clubs, I think, also printed out like a giant poster which covered like an entire section of the stadium with fans and, and you, they were selling cut, cutouts for, uh, for charity. Uh, so people could, could buy some, buy a seat, buy a cutout, if you will. And so I, I like that. I, I do. Um, the Zoom thing I thought was pretty fascinating uh, where you basically, they set up like big screen TVs all over the stadium, you know, in the, the lower section and, and you could, you could pay to zoom in. So there were some, some images of, of folks kind of sitting around their table, you know, throwing back some, some cold beverages and, and cheering along with the game. And, you know, I don't know how delayed that is. Maybe, you know, I don't know how in real time it is, you know, maybe, maybe a goal happens then it takes five seconds for the cheer to come in or something like that. Uh, you know, in Korea, as you've pointed out, we've seen, we've seen some of the good, we've seen some of the bad with uh, FC Seoul on the soccer side, uh, putting in some inflatable dolls that uh, weren't necessarily appropriate. Uh, I know that was your, uh, your worst a couple of weeks ago on the pod. Uh, so they, they're getting creative. I, I, I like that. The, the one that I was kind of curious to, to bring up with you was, um, I think it was at Dortmund, um, Borussia Dortmund, uh, one of the big soccer clubs in Germany, where they, where they piped in crowd noise. I mean, like full on, you got the crowd chanting and all this kind of stuff. And so, you know, I was wondering, that I think is, is where it gets a little, a little weird if you will, because it's like, yeah, you got the cowboy cutouts, we're making do, right? That's words of support, all those kind of stuff. Even like the, the big screen TVs of fans watching from home. Um, but the noise, the noise is as artificial as it gets, right? So you've got the noise, you've got everything, and you can, you can hear it over the, the TV broadcast, but everybody knows there's nobody there. Like at least the cardboard doesn't talk back or the stuffed animals, the Pokemon dolls that are there in the, the Korean baseball games, like they aren't making noise. But I, I, don't, know, I don't know how I feel about, uh, it seemed very natural on TV, but all you see on the TV is the, the field, right, and the shots. Uh, but for players and things like that, it's like you get all the noise, you, you get some of it, but nobody's there. there, there there's no energy from that sense. So I, I thought that was a little, a little strange. Of all, the, of all the ideas, who knew that uh, artificial crowd noise was going to be the, the weirdest perhaps to, to kind of work through. Yeah. You know, visually I'm all for whatever you want to put cutouts. You want to zoom on big screens and, and have the image of people's faces. That's all fine. I am against, I am vehemently anti the artificial fan noise. Um, you know, I, when I watch late night television shows right now, right? Stephen Colbert and Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Kimmel and all of them, they very well could put in like a laugh track if they wanted to, right? They're broadcasting from their homes and doing their monologues and interviews from their houses, but they're not. Uh, they have been performing and producing their shows in silence. And I think that it's actually made it a different and still somewhat entertaining product. It's still something that can work. Then you switch over to the sports side of it and uh, you have UFC fights and uh, we've had the match event with Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson and Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and there were no crowds. Uh, we could hear a lot of what was happening on the course in the UFC, you could hear a lot of what was happening as far as the corner man outside the cage. I mean, heck, they were, the fighters themselves were listening to Daniel Cormier on the broadcast. I kind of like that. I think the novelty of that silence, that lack of ambient noise, is actually something that I find interesting. And I would absolutely love to see what it's like 
for an NFL or college football game, if it comes to this. Obviously, you prefer to have fans in the stadium. I'm not crazy here. Uh, but if there aren't fans, I'm absolutely against the idea of bringing in artificial noise, even though the Atlanta Falcons already have the infrastructure to pull that off, uh, as we already understand. <laughs> uh, I'm against that just because let's just go all the way and let's just see what that experience is like. An NBA game where you're hearing the squeaking and the trash talking and the coaches yelling uh, and the officials perhaps talking and interacting with players. Like, I'm all for that. And if anything, I think it's an opportunity for the television productions to give us even more access. You don't necessarily have to mic players up, but even if you just got a boom mic nearby, they're going to be so much more effective because you won't have the ambient crowd noise. We're going to be able to get a lot more. And I'm interested in that. Let's not present something that is too much of a farce or too much of an artificial product. All right, time now for the Domino's Hawaii main topping. This is our main portion of the program. And as mentioned, uh, we have an interview with Cole Kaler, shortstop for the Rainbow Warrior baseball team, named the third-team All-American according to Collegiate Baseball. Let's go ahead and run that. All right, so Cole Kaler, All-American. Uh, what kind of ring does that have in, in your mind? Nothing I ever, I mean, envisioned, really. I mean, kind of a shock to me. But um, obviously, super cool, super cool to uh, – to be out there with some of the best players in the country, for sure. So when did you first get notified of this? And at that moment, kind of what was your reaction? Uh, that's funny because Scotty, Scotty Scott actually FaceTimed me and he says, uh, what's up, All-American or something like that. But um, yeah, Scotty was the first one who told me. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. And then uh, he actually sent me a tweet that uh, had like a list of players. And uh, so that's that's the first time I found out about it. So that seems to fit, right? Scotty Scott seems to be the kind of guy that would be like that in the know and sort of have his thumb on the pulse, right? That's who he is, man. I mean, that's what Scotty's all about. But uh, no, man, Scotty's a great guy. So yeah, no, it was cool that Scotty was the one who uh, sent it to me. This obviously isn't a season that went the way you guys wanted it to. You wanted to still be playing baseball right now. But for this for sure. to happen uh, and for you to get this kind of recognition in your first season of Division One baseball – uh, how much does that, at least to a degree, make up for how the season ultimately came to an abrupt halt? I mean, it does and it doesn't just because, I mean, I mean, you know, if the season went the way we had planned it to, we'd be on a plane to a regional right now. But um, for for me, I mean, yeah, it is. It, it's a pretty cool um, honor. Um, but I don't know. I just can't get over the fact, you know, we should still be playing right now. Yeah, how weird is this? You're back home in Arizona. Uh, you've been there, I'm, I'm assuming, for some time now. Uh, how strange yeah. of an experience is this for you? Crazy. It's crazy. Um, I don't think anybody's ever seen anything like this. So, I mean, it's, a, it's a, definitely an adjustment for everybody. But, um, yeah, I don't, know. I don't even know. It's, it's just crazy. Like, that's all I can say about it, I think. What have your days been like? How have you been filling your time? How have you been trying to stay in shape or, or however you're going about it? Um, so when we had school, it was, you know, wake up around nine. And then uh, actually I had a buddy who um, he has like a just kind of like a rack in his uh, garage. So I'd go over there and we'd lift in his garage and then uh, probably get done around 1030. And then uh, I'd start start class at 11. So and then that would pretty much be my day. Um, some days I'd go and hit it at a park. But I mean, other than that, nothing, honestly, doing a whole lot of nothing. Spent a couple of seasons in junior college. Uh, why was this transition to the Division One level seemingly so smooth and and seamless for you? I mean, I think I got prepared very well. 
at South Mountain, which is where I was at my first two years. And I mean, the conference that South Mountain plays in, in Arizona, which is, it's an unreal conference. It's very difficult. Um, I mean, you see guys, pitchers in the conference, you know, they're getting drafted all over the place. So I think for me, I matured so much in those first two years. And I think that was a huge, uh, that was a huge stepping stone in my um, process of being a better player. So. So you didn't feel like you were necessarily going up against the kind of quality pitching that you've never seen before. It, it was at least based on your experience in Juco, uh, it, it felt a little more comfortable for you. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Um, comfortable and just more experience as well. I think that's a, that has a huge, that is, plays a huge role in it. Um, but yeah, just, kind of zoning in on, you know, what, what my strengths are and uh, kind of just stuck with them this year. And I think that really helped me too. Individually speaking, what kind of expectations did you have going into this season? I mean, individually, I definitely wanted to, you know, be a first team all Big West guy, but um, I don't know. I, I think that was kind of the only thing that I thought of individually and then just try to help the team win every time out. That was, uh, that's, always, that's always my thing. Just want to help the team um, every night. So. Well, speaking of the team, you guys had been doing some good things and seemed to be uh, trending upward at the time of the, the season coming to an abrupt ending. Uh, what were your feelings about the, the cast that you had uh, on either side of you and, and the kind of team you guys were getting ready to continually build here moving forward? I think we were really just starting to click. Against Oregon, um, I think the offense really started, like, I think it was Saturday. Saturday, we really started to click, and then Obviously, Sunday wasn't a very good day, but I mean, you just you just had a feeling like, hey, we're going to get rolling here. And then, you know, we were going to start conference in two weeks. And then once conference started, anything had happened. So, I mean, I, it's obviously upsetting, but uh, I think I think we were going to get going. And I think we we're going to have a really good year in conference as well. Who have you been communicating the most with here during this time? And, and how has that communication gone? I mean, what, what has been the dynamic here? talk to like a decent amount of the guys. I think uh, the guy who I talk to the most or guys I talk to the most would be Demeter and uh, Beza. It's just crazy. Like, I mean, it's just like, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> what other stuff, stuff like that. What'd you do today? And it's usually the same thing every day. It's like, <laughs> oh yeah, did some stuff, played some video games. I mean, that's, I mean, that's pretty much all we can do. So, I mean, it's pretty much just the same stuff all the time. Are you starting to feel pretty antsy and restless and, and ready to get back to, to yeah. full-time baseball here? Yeah, I think I was telling uh, Coach Trapp, I think this is the longest I've gone without playing in a game of baseball since probably my sophomore year of high school or something like that. So, I mean, I'm I'm hoping, you know, maybe, I don't know, go back to Hawaii here pretty soon, you know, or uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens, though, something. <laughs> when you're not thinking of baseball, what what are you sort of thinking about? What are you filling your time with? That's a tough question. Wow. Or are you always thinking about baseball? I mean, yeah, in a way, yes, it's always about baseball. But, I mean, always trying to hang out with friends and family. I think that's kind of kind of the big thing for me. Um, yeah, I don't know. Playing playing some video games now. Got got on the video games for sure since I've been home. But um, I would say friends and family is uh, kind of what I do in my free time, like hang out with friends uh, and hanging out with my family for sure. You know, we've been hearing a lot of the importance of that during this pandemic, because especially yeah. as a collegiate athlete, to all of a sudden have that part of your life sort of plucked away, even temporarily, yeah. uh, it can have an impact on mental health and, and moods and, and those kinds of things. Uh, so how has 
family and friends. How important has that been for you in recent weeks and months? I mean, obviously, they've been a huge support just because, I mean, I haven't been, you know, living with that. I didn't live with them when I was at junior college either. So I think I'm kind of, a, you know, pain in their butt right now too. But, um, I mean, I think it's good. I think it's good. I mean, getting to hang out with them um, almost every day and kind of communicate with them, let them know how I feel, things like that. I mean, I think that's huge. I think that's huge. And I think, um, you know, if everybody can almost have somebody to vent to, I think that's, a, that's, also, that's also a very good thing. Yeah, I mean, do you mind embellishing a little bit more on, on just some of the feelings you, you have had going through? Absolutely. I mean, just obviously frustrated at the fact that, you know, I should have been in Hawaii playing baseball. I mean, that's, it doesn't get much better than that. So, I mean, I think just frustration was probably my biggest thing. And honestly, it didn't even really hit me until about a month after the season started. And I just, I just, I was mad all the time. I was walking around mad. And uh, I don't know. I think, um, yeah, it's frustrated is definitely the main thing for me. You know, you mentioned playing in Hawaii and, and how cool of a thing that is. Uh, what honed you in and focused you on Hawaii being the option for your the Division One portion of your career? Yeah, I would say definitely the coaching staff. Uh, Coach Strap and Coach Brown, um, they were one of the first Division One coaches to reach out to me. So, um, and then it was just an instant connection with Coach Brown. It was awesome. And then Coach Strap instantly liked him too. I mean, when then once I went down on the visit, I knew I knew right there. I was like, okay, yeah. I mean, this is where I'm coming. So, so yeah, I think you know, just the connection with the coaching staff for sure. How does life in Hawaii compare to life as you know it in Arizona? Definitely different for sure. But um, I love I love Hawaii. I love Hawaii. Just being like, I mean, who doesn't you know want to go to the beach? You know, once every two weeks and just kind of hang out. That's definitely that's definitely a big thing for me too. Just kind of, you just need to relax, let it all out, you know, every now and then too. So, um, but Hawaii, the food, I love it. So, I mean, <laughs> I think is, it's great. I love it. Is there a specific dish that you're uh, really jonesing for when you do uh, make it back to the islands? I was telling Matt Wong the other day, me and Matt Wong's place is Blazing Steaks. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, steak and eggs from uh, Blazing Steaks for sure. <laughs> you know, you're, you, you seem to be such a well-rounded baseball player uh, defensively sound obviously really talented with the bat how do you describe yourself how do you describe yourself as a player and how does that match up with uh, how you envision yourself or what you envision for yourself as a player I think I just describe myself as a gamer I mean that's I mean honestly that's kind of the only way I can put it is I'm just going to go out and when I play I'm going to give everything I have I don't know. Every time I go out on the field, like I've always been told, if I don't leave uh, the field with a dirty jersey, then I didn't, I didn't do anything. So, I mean, that's kind of a dirt bag. I mean, that's kind of how I would describe my game for sure. Where did you learn that from? You, you come from a family. Your mom played college softball. You have a sister that played college yeah. softball. Um, so where does that mentality come from? Uh, I think a little bit of everything. I mean, I'm the youngest. So, I mean, definitely – definitely something like that but my dad also rodeo so um yeah I mean I think that's kind of where my toughness comes from for sure yeah could, could you talk a little bit about that like your experiences of, of of growing up with a dad who who participated in yeah. that kind of thing I mean, he, he uh he rode bulls so I mean he's always all about toughness always anytime I'd uh like take a hard hit in football is always hey let's go get up here we go so I mean definitely I think that's um that was a huge role that's pretty wild. Did uh, you ever attempt to, to ride a bull? 
No, my mom would never let me, but I would have. I would have for sure. Yeah, <laughs> that's on the bucket list, maybe. Ah, uh, maybe not now. But I mean, when I was younger, I, you know, I would have done it for sure. But uh, no, probably not anymore. No. Yeah, I don't think the the coaching staff would be too happy if you uh, decided <laughs> to do that now. Yeah, yeah, I don't think Coach Trap would uh, like that very much. <laughs> um, how did baseball become the thing for you? I don't know, honestly. I kind of from probably the age of four, that just kind of always stuck with me. Uh, played all sports growing up, but, I mean, baseball was always – I was always better at baseball. Like, that's uh, – I knew I was going to play baseball, just baseball at some point. But, um, yeah, I would say just – I mean, family obviously has a big reason into it, a big influence in it. Everybody kind of played in my family. So, um, yeah, I would say family has a huge, uh, huge tie into why I like baseball so much. What has your family's reaction been to uh, this week's news of, of making third team All America? Uh, my my dad joked me third team. You shouldn't even have given it to. But uh, <laughs> no, no, no. He's just congratulations. I mean, that's no, super cool. Super cool for sure. Obviously, you're looking forward to to getting back here. Um, what is going to be your approach here? Is as basically now you're you're looking at next season. Well, I, I talked to Coach Brown today. He said as soon as you know, as soon as Hawaii lifts um, their um, quarantine or whatever. So as soon as they let um, us into the facilities, then I'll probably just go back to Hawaii then and uh, probably be there for two weeks and uh, get back into it, start doing my routines and uh, start working out stuff, kind of ramp it up. Just because, I mean, I haven't really been doing a whole lot here. So, um, I mean, the sooner I can get back there, the, sooner, the better I'm going, the better off I'm going to be. But, um, yeah, hopefully get to Hawaii soon. Yeah, and then and then have the, the senior season in front of you, and, and hopefully that all goes according to, to plan and isn't uh, interrupted yeah. by any outside influences. Uh, and then after that, if you allow yourself to imagine, if you allow yourself to think, um, what do you see for yourself? What, what are the goals for you? I mean, definitely play, play professional baseball and, you know, hopefully play as long as I can, hopefully play in the major leagues. But, um, yeah, definitely major league baseball for sure. Well, you're the first UH All-American that wasn't a freshman All-American since 2011, uh, Lenny Linsky and a guy named Colton Wong, who is one of the greatest yeah. to ever play at UH. I mean, that's some pretty high yeah. company you're with. Yeah, uh, Colton Wong, um, that's definitely a guy who I compare my game to a little bit. Um, scrappy, uh, does, everything, does everything good. So, I mean, definitely somebody who I looked up to um, – you know, over the past couple of years, just to see how he carries himself too. Um, I love that. Oh, that's awesome, man. Uh, we wish you the best and uh, appreciate the time. Yes, sir. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks once again to Cole Kaler. Looking forward to seeing him back on the field at Les Murakami Stadium for his senior campaign. Let's take a quick break. Then our post game best and worst coming up. Hey, for our listeners on Maui, we are holding out hope that the 18th season of the Maui Flag Football League will take place as scheduled this summer. The MFFL is a youth flag football league for boys and girls ranging in age from 3 to 18, broken up into divisions of seven different age groups representing five districts, Upcountry, Wailuku, Kahului, Kihei, and Lahaina. The goal of the MFFL is to teach the game of football without the worry of violent contact, concussions, or weight cutting. It's all about having fun, being active, and making new friends while reinforcing important values like teamwork, perseverance, and respect for your fellow players and coaches. For more information on the Maui Flag Football League, please call 808-280-7513 or email mauiflagfootball at gmail.com and get signed up. All right, back to the show. 
All right, Jordan, time for our post-game portion of the episode. Let's get into our best and worst. We've been running it backwards here for weeks and weeks. I kind of like that dynamic. We end on a high note. So let's start with our worst for this episode. What's your worst? Yeah, my worst, uh, Louisiana Tech Athletic Director, uh, Tommy McClellan. You know, it's kind of interesting. Earlier in the pod, we, we talked about the Pac-12 rumors of them maybe just cutting out non-conference games. Uh, and, and in the South, um, you know, it, creative scheduling, figuring out scheduling partners maybe that don't fit in the current conference schedules but make a lot more sense geographically and not just for football but especially non-revenue sports. And so in the, in the football realm, there had been some rumblings of Conference USA and the Sunbelt Conference getting creative, getting creative to figure out cheaper, safer, more efficient ways to, to complete a football schedule. Uh, and Tommy McClellan basically poured a cold water on all of that because hey, when you look at it, right, Louisiana Tech and Louisiana Lafayette would make a ton of sense to play football games against each other. Different conferences. UT San Antonio, Texas State, pretty close. Go on a bus. Different conferences. University of North Carolina, Charlotte, App State, same state, different conferences. And so if we, if we start working in silos, it's like, what sense does it make for Conference USA to have UTSA to go play Charlotte and the Sun Belt have Texas State go play App State? And they got to get on a plane and all this kind of stuff. So it's like, I'm all for getting creative. I'm all for finding outside the box ideas to make it work, to find ways to play these sports, uh, you know, in this time of COVID and, and getting out there. And so, but the ego, right? Ego and money and all this kind of stuff. And the administrators, it's like, get over yourselves. Uh, it's like, no, no, Conference USA, we're better than Sunbelt. We, we're going to look down our nose at the Sunbelt. It's like uh, half of those schools are former Sunbelt schools. So I don't quite get it. Tommy McClellan. Not going to happen, according to him. So I give him a thumbs down this week. He's my worst. Yeah, and those programs geographically actually have that as an option. Hawaii doesn't have that as an option. Yeah. Travel everywhere regardless. And so, you know what? You're lucky enough to actually have that as something to consider. Then stop looking down on it and, and, and being so high mucka mucka. My gosh, that's so annoying. All right, my worst. Celebrity Watch Party. Have you seen this? It is a show that premiered this month on Fox. And it features celebs like Reggie Bush, Tyra Banks, the Osbournes. Ozzy's still around, still uh, kind of mumbling through uh, his days and nights. Uh, and Joe Buck, aforementioned announcer for Fox. Uh, they're recorded along with some of their significant others and loved ones watching TV. I'm not lying. They're watching some, you know, a variety of different uh, television shows as well as movies. And it's just them reacting to it. Nothing too redeeming socially or otherwise by what they say there's nothing that is too exciting it's just people that are more on the side of celebrity status watching television uh it is a complete and utter waste of time i'd like to see if we're just gonna do this kind of stuff how about you and i jordan produce a show called celebrity watch party watch party where we film people who are watching celebrity watch party and get their discussions and reaction to the show. I mean, COVID programming is pretty desperate, but my goodness, Fox is taking it to a whole nother level. This reminds me of like the national championship game, right? ESPN does the mega cast and they've got 19 different options. You can watch the, the sky cam the whole time. You can watch the regular broadcast. You can watch the Spanish language broadcast. You can listen to like the, the home team announcer. You can listen to the visiting team radio feed or something like that. And then like on ESPN 12, there's the watch party and they get some of the ESPN personalities. Jay Billis is there and like, they don't even cover football, but Hey, they're, we're going to put them on a couch and they're going to watch the game and you can watch that. And it's like, nobody's watching that. 
but they're only on because ESPN has 19 different channels and they needed one to fill. So there's that. This is like primetime television on Fox. Like this is, this is the choice. We're, if, if we're that desperate, like, you know, maybe pick up a hobby, learn to knit, uh, maybe, maybe learn chess, something. Like there, there's got to be a, a million better ways to pass the time than to watch. And I love Joe Buck than watch Joe Buck watch TV. Yeah, Joe Buck and his wife seem like good people. They seem like they have a lot of fun, more power to them. But yeah, I just, I don't necessarily need Raven from That's So Raven to say like, whoa, that's crazy in reaction to some kind of scene from a television show. Like that doesn't do anything for me, doesn't inform me on anything. But I get a lot of people out there will say, hey, look, that makes about as much sense as listening to you guys on your podcast. You know what? Fair. Fair enough, fair enough. Yes. Fair enough. All right. <laughs> so uh, before we embarrass ourselves further, let's move on to the best. What's your best? Yeah, my best. Uh, I got to give a shout out to uh, Nenea Estrella of Lahaina Luna High School here on Maui, uh, four-time state champion in girls wrestling. She's on her way to Menlo College, one of the best uh, women's wrestling programs in the country there, an NAIA wrestling program. Uh, she was inducted into the HHSA Hall of Honor a couple of weekends ago, and just the other day uh, got word that she is receiving the Trisha Saunders High School Excellence Award from the National Wrestling Hall of Fame. And that goes basically to the top female high school wrestler in the country, the entire nation. And uh, Nanea was chosen. And that's, that's pretty high praise. So, uh, yeah, according to the National Wrestling Hall of Fame, she's the best high school female wrestler in the nation. Uh, so props to Nanea. That's my best. Yeah, that's a really good one. And uh, as always, per usual, you make me feel pretty bad about what I chose for my best because it is so meaningless compared to that. Uh, but Zack Snyder, the Snyder Cut uh, Justice League movie is scheduled to uh, be produced for HBO Max in 2021. I know you're excited about this one. Zack Snyder was the director for Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman, and Justice League that was up until a uh, tragedy within his family. His daughter passed away. That prompted his departure from that project. Uh, but HBO Max, uh, HBO front office, they're basically going to spend in the upwards of $30 million for reshoots and production to bring this project to fruition. Now, I'm one of the three or four people on the globe that actually really liked, dare I say, loved Batman versus Superman. So I'm excited about this. Jordan, I assume uh, you could give two hoots. No, I'm interested. I'm interested. And look, it's the DC universe has taken a lot of cracks, right, as we like to say uh, here locally. But just because of the ridiculous, unprecedented success, really, of what Marvel has done on the other side, right? What they, what they built in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and, and every movie that they make is a blockbuster success. They're also wildly entertaining. And on the DC side, there's been some swings and misses. I didn't hate Batman versus Superman. I didn't like it nearly as much as you did. I know we've had this conversation before. <laughs> uh, I didn't hate it. I think Man of Steel is a good movie. That is an enjoyable movie. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, you got the heavy hitters, right? You're talking Batman. You're talking Superman. Wonder Woman's. I, I think they've done well with Wonder Woman. Aquaman, I love me some Momoa, but it, was, it wasn't great. It wasn't great. Um, and, and so, you know... I. I love Justice League, like the, the cartoon, right? I think a lot of people have great memories of Justice League. Uh, and, and so I think Snyder's involvement, I think, is a very positive sign. And we know what HBO is capable of when they put their seemingly limitless financial resources behind a project. Um, and so I, I, I'm, I'm optimistic. I'll go into it with an open mind. Well, now what's the line from White Man Can't Jump? You can 
listen to Jimmy. You just can't hear Jimmy. You can watch <laughs> DC movies. You just can't get DC movies. They tried to. Zack Snyder tried to take it in a darker direction, a la Frank Miller, one of the great comic book writers of all time. Yeah, I think that was the intent. A lot of people it didn't necessarily resonate with. And then so Justice League, once Zack Snyder left, they put it out there. All the teeth had been shaved down and removed, and it was just kind of a uh, Marvel cookie-cutter product. I'm, I'm looking to see Zack Snyder try to uh, deliver a little bit more oomph and onions into this project and see what they could have done because I think there was some potential there. Anyway, I'm the only one that cares about it, but that's all right. It's my podcast in part, and so I'm going to talk about it as one of my best. All right, uh, if you have anything uh, as far as reaction questions, otherwise, you can hit us up on Twitter, at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helley, at TalkSports808. Uh, Jordan, it's been fun. Thanks once again to Cole Kaler for jumping on. Talk to you again soon, my man. Sounds good, man. Take care. All right, enjoy that haircut.